0: Welcome to the Tri-State College Basketball Podcast, brought to you by the North Jersey Vipers Softball Club. Now in its 14th season, the North Jersey Vipers is one of the premier softball clubs in all of New Jersey and the longest running softball club in North Jersey. Go to their website at NorthJerseyVipers.com. So, another terrific weekend in the Tri-State. We had some big-time matchups and some incredible comebacks. NJIT, did you see what they did? They came back from a 22-point halftime deficit to shock UMBC. Great win for Grant Billmeyer as they pick up their first win in conference play. And over in West Long Branch, Monmouth came from 13 down to beat their rival Hofstra 81-78. Xander Rice won it with three free throws with two and a half seconds to play. And with that, the Hawks are right there in the middle of the pack in the colonial athletic conference, quite a turnaround from last year where they were at the bottom and here to talk about that. Is their head coach King Rice coach? Great to talk to you once again. And Hey, congrats on career win number 200 way to go.
1: Well, thank you so much. And you know, I've a lot of people been calling and saying congratulations. And after the game, I talked about Dr. McNeil. Um, I talked about the the Mammoth community and how thankful and fortunate that that I am and my family is that that we got to come here 13 years ago. Um, but while I was talking about it, I didn't mention someone that has been there for all 200, and that's Rick Callahan. And Rick has been with me since I was about 13, 12 years old. He guided my family. He helped all the way while I was at Carolina. And he's been my right-hand man at Monmouth for the whole 13 years. And, you know, it's just amazing. I get a lot of the credit. And without him by my side, I I would not have still been the head coach at Monmouth. Um, I lost my confidence early, early when we were losing a lot of games. I did not think that could happen to me. And I lost my confidence. And I'm like, Ricky, maybe I'm just good as an assistant coach. And he would just jump on me and be like, can not you stop that? We're grinders. This is what we do. We're going to get through this. You're doing great. And, you know, it was some hard times. You know, I, I thought it would go differently when we first started. Like every guy who gets a job, you think I'm going to outcoach everybody. No one even understands how I'm going to do this. And then you get the job and it's way harder than you ever could have imagined you spend your first year calling your former bosses, apologizing for being the wise assistant that knew everything. And then you just let them know, man, thank you for not firing me, for, for thinking I knew everything all the time when you were battling and I was questioning it. So it's this has been a great journey for me and my family. And we're, we're truly thankful to the Monmouth community and Dr. McNeil. But I wouldn't be here without
0: Rick Callahan uh, being my right-hand man. That, that's saying a lot, coach, and thank you for sharing that. And you can look at all walks of coaches and so many different sports, right? Where would Bill Parcells be without Bill Belichick? Where would uh, Joe Torrey be without Don Zimmer? Where would, you know, and, go, and you can go on and on, right? Even, even in college basketball, Jim Calhoun, you know, really needed a guy like George Blaney, who had been through the wars sure. with him. So, you know, it's so important to have those those people in your life that you can bounce things off of that know you inside and out. And like you said, um, you know, they're with you every step of the way. Uh, maybe that's your safety blanket, the right. somebody who, you know, picks you up when you're down. But that that says a lot that you and coach uh, coach have that relationship. Well,
1: he's he's been a great friend, a mentor. And as I said, when when I was going through recruiting, he was recruiting me for Syracuse. And he got close with my family. And then it it became, he truly was like a member of our family. And, you know, I always thought I was going to Syracuse. And when I chose Carolina, he still was right there with us and encouraged me and my, my parents that that was a great one for us. And it's just been an incredible relationship. And I'm I'm lucky that he's, he's willing. You know, Ricky could be the head coach and I could be the assistant coach. And it would work just as well. Maybe even better with him being the head coach. But <laughs> it um, it's definitely something that I, you know, we talk first call in the morning. I call him just to make sure everything's okay, and he didn't get any random calls that someone's in trouble, you know, at mm-hmm. night. So he he does a lot,
0: and uh, you know, Mama should be happy to have him also. Terrific. Well, Coach, what a turnaround it's been for you. What a wild game, huh? I mean, I mean, you're down twelve at the half. And Hofstra's loaded. We know how good they are. You give up 50 points in the first half, and then you storm back in the second half. You take the lead with a minute 20 to go. You're up seven. Game over, coach, right? And then, and then they tie the game, and then it comes to Xander hitting free throws. I, what's going through your mind? Take me through that entire sequence of that second half and uh, the seesawness that happened there in the final minute and a half. Well, first off, um,
1: Credit to Speedy and his staff. Um, You know, we've played Hofstra a lot over my 13 years, and it's been about seven years since we've beaten them. Um, When I first played them, we won, and then it was back and forth each year. And then I think Coach Mihalik came down here, and we were up just like we were the the other day. And then first time I ever fouled up three, it went badly for us. They made Mm. the first then they tipped out, they screened us in, they tipped it to the side. I'd never seen that even happen before. And the kid, I think Justin Ray was his name, but he made the pros. It was like the perfect play and he hits the three and we lose. And since then, we haven't even been close. And then Speedy became the coach and they've gotten even better. You know, so I'm hopeful that we can make it a rivalry and, and having a comeback win like that. You know, maybe we're we're taking steps to, you know, if we can do that a few more times, maybe beat them, then it could become a rivalry. But right now they've they're definitely the big brother in the relationship. And I got all the respect in the world for them. Um, but I think we we changed our lineup in the second half and it just enabled us to guard them a different way. They knew how we guarded and they spaced us out, and it was a clinic. It was a clinic, you know, and I've known Speedy for a long time. I was a fan of his when he was playing in the pros. Um, I've watched him closely and we we have some of the same friends. So this is big time the way he's doing in his first three years. It's like people don't have that type of success that early and Speedy is doing that. So I think he he scouted us well and spaced us out and we couldn't do anything about it. But with the changes it just, they weren't as comfortable, okay? They weren't as comfortable running their offense because we could switch, we could do different things, we could trap, and it just changed the pace of the game. And then that enabled us to get out on offense a little bit. And our guys played super well in the second half. And with them, you know, and I heard Speedy say it. He he said, you know, I don't think it was so much of what Mammoth did. I think we started holding the ball instead of moving it the way they were moving it in the first half. You know, hopefully our defense had something to do with that, but I, I understand what he's saying because the ball didn't move as well on their end in the second half, and it just gave us a
0: chance just to get close enough to be able to steal it. Well, you're you you you're talking about a team that that can score with the best teams in the country. Uh, they have one of the most dynamic scoring duos in the country and Tyler Thomas and Stone Dubar. You have the leading scorer in in conference play now with your son, Xander, scored his 1,500th career point in this game. So uh kudos to him and, and what a magical career he's had. So, Coach, you're talking about three pretty darn good offensive players. So to, to put the clamps on them defensively in the second half, you know, you, you definitely should pat yourself on the back with the defensive performance that you guys did.
1: Well, it was, you know, I did look up at one point. See, they scored 50. And most of the time, you know, you're down 12 at halftime. You're going to be mad. And I, I walked off the court kind of chuckling because I thought we were so ready for them. Like, mm. I, I was like, and my coaches were mad and they're like, man, but we did this, we did that. And I'm like, guys, we can't be mad at them right now, okay? Because we just can't guard them, okay? So what, are we going to be mad at them for not being talented enough to guard them? So maybe this is just the one. And I I walked in and I said, guys, we're trying to move up into the top group. And this is one of the teams up there. And they're showing us we got a long way to go. Okay, but I think we're better than what we showed in this first half. So everybody thought there was a lot of yelling at halftime. And it was more just reality check and just to let them know this is who we are going to have to beat to even get close to the top of this league. I thought we were ready, guys. And maybe we're. We're just their little brothers. Ooh. And I don't think my guys like that too much. But um, I was just telling them the truth. Like, that's what it felt like. The first half, somebody gets 50 on you. My staff is like, we're setting up to give 100 up this game. And, you know, I'm like, well, hopefully we can try harder. And then it hit me, change the lineup, and just let's let's do a few things a little bit differently and see if that can mess with them. And I I think it helped us.
0: Yeah. Coach, you had been in the situation before, though. You know, earlier this year, you're down 19 to Northern Illinois and won that game. So did, did you draw any parallels or or just two completely different comebacks? Yeah,
1: two completely different ones. Um, you know, we at the start of this game against Hofstra, they were scoring, we were scoring. Okay, so it was like they hit a three, Xander hit a three. They hit a two, Jarrett hit a three. Um, we were, it was like, okay, this is going to be one of those days. Mm-hmm. Then obviously we stopped scoring for a little while and then they got going. But the second half, like I said, it was about six or seven minutes to go in the half. And I think they only had 68 points and I'm not great at math, but I'm like, man, they had 50 and they only got 68. We're guarding the mess out of these guys right now. And then at, you know, and then we got feeling ourselves a little bit and Jakari wanted to be Dr. J and come down and, then I'm like, when when you give it away like that, I'm like, oh, my goodness. And then on the last play, when I when it got knocked out of Jakari's hands in front of their bench, and the refs went over to the thing, and I, I asked Jakari, I said, did it go off of you? And he said, uh, well, um, he kind of just hit it, coach. Right then I knew it was Hofstra's ball because mm-hmm. – If it didn't go off you, you, the kid is yelling, no way. No, no. Right. It was like, uh, well, coach, like kind of, um, he just hit it. Did it go off of you? I don't know. Mm. All right. Hofstra ball. What are we going to do now? We're going to be sick after this game if they hit a shot and we don't win. So we were, you know, we, we were down, we got it under control. We gave it back to him and then we were fortunate, um, but it was definitely a foul on Xander's shot. Like, uh, that's, there's no question about that part, and that's a credit to him. We called his number. We didn't tell him shoot a three. We just said, hold it as long as you can. Make sure it's the last shot. Jakari did a great job holding it for a little while. We got it to Xander in the spot, and he did what, what we were hoping he could do. And then once he got fouled, I didn't think there was any way that he would miss Three of them. So I'm like, we're at least going to have a lead now. Put somebody on the ball, King. Just put somebody on the ball and slow them down. And if they hit one like this, then they were supposed to
0: beat us. But, hey, your your son has been clutch all season. 31 points. He's had three 30-point games this season. He had an amazing career at Bucknell. 1,000-point scorer there, Coach. And he comes to you this year. What has it been like? Coaching your son, working with him each and every day, somebody that you right, brought to this point in life and, and seeing the success that he's had for himself and for this team. Loaded question there, right? So many things to think about. But as a dad, as a coach, could you put both into perspective?
1: Well, first, you know, when you when you talk about Alexander, you have to talk about Bucknell. Um, you have to talk about Nathan Davis and their staff up there um, and those guys on his team because He left home as a young, young guy, okay? And I probably protected him a lot from a lot of situations, and but it was his time to go and grow. And Nathan Davis was the perfect coach for my son. Um, I feel awful that after his four years, Nathan got let go. I'm happy that he landed on his feet at New Hampshire because he's a great coach and he was the perfect coach for Alexander. He helped him grow as a kid, as a student, as a player. Um, it just was a lot, you know, they didn't, they didn't win enough games. So him coming home, he was much better, uh, than when he left and he matured a whole bunch, but we still felt like there was more inside of him that he could do. And I felt like that as a coach and as a father, not questioning anything that happened at Buck now, but I worked my son out every day of his life, basically. In times when I probably should have left him alone, I won it. I was pushing them and pushing them and you know, and I would always tell him, "Son, you're better than you think you are, okay all the time i I, I work out pro guys he makes shots at a high clip, you know and and he, his thought process of how to play the game is incredible, and I would just tell him, "You're better than you think." like when I played, I probably wasn't as good as I thought you know i i I thought I was the baddest man on the court every single time. If I couldn't score it, you weren't going to score at all. You know, there was just the way I saw it. And Xander's better than he thinks. So this has been, you know, he told me when he picked here, Dad, I need help with my body and my confidence. And I said, well, that's why I'm here, son. And um, with his body, we just had to ramp it up some. And he's changed his body since the summer. It's It's been fun to watch. Um, and then with his confidence... I got Micah Seaborn here, I got Ricky here, and I got Brian Reese here. Well, those three have been with Alexander his whole basketball career. Okay, Brian, when I couldn't work him out, Brian would work him out. Micah was like a big brother to him when he was here in school. Xander was like sixth, seventh grade, so he would shoot with Micah. He watched Micah um, work out. He watched me get on Micah. He watched me push Micah while he's sitting there trying to be a basketball player himself. So with those guys on my staff, I don't have to keep reminding him that he's better than he thinks he is. Mike and Brian do a tremendous job with his confidence. Just and you can hear them on the sidelines screaming out. People might think it's me, but it's not me. Okay, it's Brian. Like get him, get him. Mike is like go right now. He can't guard you, and that's that's so cool for Alexander to hear from them because he looked up to them so much. And then it's it's cool for me to sit there and watch him figure these things out because this is a different role for him. He's never been the main guy. Okay. He was the leading scorer on the team, but Bucknell wasn't set up where if Xander doesn't play well, they're gonna struggle. It just never was on him like that. And now we haven't put him on put it on him like that, but that's kind of what has evolved. Yeah. And now this is all new for him. You know, he, he wasn't getting blitzed at Bucknell on ball screens, maybe twice, you know, and every game, there's tremendous coaches coming up with schemes to stop him. And I'm trying to tell him that should give him more confidence. I think something I had to do is understand just how hard guys were preparing to stop him. Cause I just coach and we play how we play and I'm not, Like, oh, they're going to try to stop Xander like this. Let's do this. We have things for everything. But I had to slow down and focus a little more because I I haven't had a guy that everyone was trying to stop like this since Micah Seaborn and Justin Robinson.
0: There you go. Two greats.
1: You know, it's been a while. So and now it's my son. And I'm probably. I had to say to Alexander, like, listen, man, you have to take these shots. And he's like, dad, some of these shots are crazy. And I said, listen, you play for me now. Okay, this, these are the shots Justin took. These are the shots Jalen took. These are the shots Micah took. These are the shots Ray took. These are the shots George took. Okay, when you're the main guy here, you have to do some other things. And you have to be willing to take these shots. So we spent a lot of time this summer of him shooting shots that he would have never taken before. Okay. He played for some great coaches and they don't shoot it that way. Well, I had him shooting Steph Curry shots all summer. Okay. Preparation. You're going to have to make some of these, son. And I had to get his mindset to a place where it's okay for you to take these. Okay. Because he's trained by a coach and coaches. He watched me yell about bad shots his whole life and that's not a good one. And when he was young, I used to make them pass to his teammates um he would be like dad they're not any good they're going to drop it or miss and i'd be like i don't care the <laughs> right play is to pass it and then he became too passive and now i'm like score all the time so it's just uh it's it's been cool watching my son grow um he's definitely a man now he makes me a better coach because i i i, I don't want to be screaming um i don't do that at home i didn't raise him like that and with him being on the team you know, he'll, he'll look at me crazy if I'm screaming at these kids too much. He's never thought that worked. He didn't think it worked for him. He didn't think it worked when he watched me coach other guys. And now he's on the team. And anytime I'm going too much, he just starts clapping going, we're good, we're good, we're good. And I'm looking at him like, yo, my man, I'm the coach. Let me do what I got to do. Okay. But he makes me want to be better ever since he was born. You know, I'm – I could be a little firecracker sometimes, you know, and since I had him, I just told him, I said, I'll never embarrass you and our family. And, you know, him being so close to home now and being home and spending so much time with him that most parents don't get to do with your 23 year old son. You know, once they hit that age, usually they come home for meals and they get out. They come home, drop their clothes off, you wash them for them, fold them up real nice and they leave. And we're just thankful you know it happens because of Covid, but we're thankful that we have our son home for seeing a a graduate year and it's just been cool to see him interact with the students with the the professors um he's an a student um that just makes you proud and uh he's been a great leader for our program.
0: Nothing like that father. Son relationship and in this case, father-son coach relationship. I love hearing that coach. So, coach, let's let's look ahead now. Uh, you're in a position where you weren't there last year, you were in the bottom of the colonial athletic last year, and now you're fighting to get into that top tier. You're right there, huge victory, but no time to gloat, right? right? Drexel's coming in, the first place team, a team that is the best defensive team in the conference, the number one team in the conference. How do you now flip the script? and get ready for them to come into your building?
1: Well, first, Zach is doing a great job. Um, And you have to remember, those kids went through a tragedy this summer, okay? Their team, their program, their school went through a tragedy when they lost one of their players. So they got automatic built-in loyalty to each other, and they're playing for something bigger than just a basketball game, a league championship. They're, They're playing with the, the loss of their friend, their brother, their their teammate. So it's, you know, they're going to be a tough, tough team to beat. I thought we played them great down there, but we fouled them too much. I commented on it, and and I wasn't complaining about the officiating. I was just saying we, we fouled too much. They shot 33 free throws. We lost by four, you know. So we think if we can guard them that well again, we held them under their average, that type of stuff, and it was a great college basketball game, but we fouled too much. So we we have to limit our fouls. And then we we need to be better on offense. You know, that game was there for us to get. It's tough to get them on the road, but um, we think it's a, a good matchup for us. I think our our players fit against them well. So we're looking forward to it, but it's it's an up, uphill battle. Um, you know, they've been in this league. They know how it works. Zach is a great coach. Um, I finally got a win against him last year. He beat us when he was at Army. You know, so we're 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 getting closer. But uh, this one will be a tough one, and I think if we can rebound with him and guard uh, a couple of them the way we did the first time, I don't want to give out any hints because I know Zach listens to everything. We can guard a couple of those guys the same way and hold them to what they had last game. I like our chances.
0: There you go, Coach. Eight and one at home this year. You've won eight in a row, and and let's do this, all right? Are we going to have another beer garden like we did against Hofstra? Will there be another beer garden? Keep that tradition going. I'm pushing for it, and everybody knows I've
1: been in recovery. I'm 26, 27 years in, but I think that makes college athletics fun. Okay, and I, I'll keep talking about Wilmington because that was that was fun. OK, those kids were on me and my team the whole time. As soon as we walked in the building, they were screaming from the outside. That impacts college basketball games. And we're at the beach. If you let them have a beard garden, I think our students will come just like that. I don't think they'll cross the line. So I'm I'm pushing for it. But I, I think it's it's something you got to crawl before you can can uh, walk. And then you got to walk before you run. So. We're just starting to crawl. I'm hopeful that maybe on Saturdays we'll be able
0: to have the garden for them. All right, Coach, thanks for the time. It's great to see Mammoth back in the winning column and doing great things this year in West Long Branch. Uh, continued success, and we'll talk to you soon. All right, thanks for having us. Appreciate you. All right, that was Mammoth head coach King Rice. He speaks from the heart. If there is one thing that you can say about Coach Rice, he is honest. What you see is what you get, what he said about his son Xander and having him there. You know, that's a special relationship. You know, he has a special relationship as well with Coach Callahan way back to their days at upstate New York when he was being recruited by him in Syracuse. Special relationships right there. So thank you, coach. We'll be keeping an eye on what happens with Monmouth and Drexel. And now let's go around the Tri-State because there's a whole heck of a lot to talk about. Let's begin with Rutgers, shall we? Shall we? That game happened on Sunday, and it's clear this is not a vintage Rutgers team that we have come to know over the last three to four years with Steve Peichel. They are down... It's time, if you haven't admitted it yet, it's not happening with the NCAA tournament. So what does that mean? Give up on the season? No, because there is still rack magic to happen. It nearly happened yesterday against Purdue. But I got to tell you, before this game started, I saw the script. And unfortunately, it's a script that Rutgers fans have known and seen too often this year. Rutgers starts out cold. They can't hit a shot. Their opponent builds a double-digit lead, and now Rutgers trails at halftime. Second half, they regroup. They claw back. Suddenly, they start playing defense. They start hitting shots in the half court. They turn you over. They start getting points in transition, and suddenly, it's a one-possession game. But way too often this season, as we've seen, Rutgers falls short. They stop making shots. The other team makes enough plays to win the game. It didn't happen against Nebraska. It happened once again against Purdue. Too much Zach Eady. Way too much Zach Eady. And listen, you could talk about how he he travels or shuffles his feet. Well, let me tell you something. He gets hammered every time he touches the ball and they're not calling it. He's just bigger than life. Seven foot four. Got to be upwards of, you know, close to 300 pounds. Have you been next to Cliff Amori? Cliff Amori is a monster of a human being. All right. He is chiseled. Cliff Amori doesn't get pushed around. Cliff Amori out muscles you. Well, he could not outmuscle Zach Eady. It, it's just simple physics, ladies and gentlemen. Zach Eady got the best of Cliff Amori. And don't get me wrong, Cliff Amori played his ass off. He played well. Zach Eady's an All American. He's the National Player of the Year. Twenty-six points, twelve rebounds, four blocks. I love what Matt Painter. The Purdue head coach said after the game unsolicited, you know, he talked about Cliff Amore and had a lot of praise for him. So I want to share some of that sound with you if you haven't heard it. Here's Matt Painter talking about the battle down low between Edie and Amori and giving Amori a ton of praise. After that, you'll hear what Steve Peichel had to say as well. Here are both coaches about Cliff Amore and Zach Edie.
1: Love Big Cliff. Big Cliff's been great, man. He's He defends. He rebounds. He plays hard. He's come a long
0: way. He's come a long way. But he's about winning, and um, that's you know Zach has a lot of respect for him. People don't realize like Cliff has come a a long, long way. His freshman year, he led the league in fouls per minutes, and now he's one of the best defenders in the country. So like to flip the script and in three years and. You know now to be a presence on that end of the floor. I think he's one of the elite defenders in the country. Obviously, second or third in block shots and in our league. Um, But you know, Cliff works at it, and uh, you know I'm proud of him. But it's a tough matchup today. I mean, you know, you know, and you're always playing against the whistle too, because you know we need him in the game. And then sometimes you gotta you gotta foul, you know, uh, to stop a player like that who gets such low post position and You know he catches everything you know and so these are tough games because you're playing against the whistle and you're playing against the best player in the country yeah high high praise there all right rutgers is going to battle the rest of this year they're going to win some games at home we've seen too often they cannot win on the road and what do you need to win on the road? You need experienced guards. You need a veteran backcourt, people buying in. You need guys who are capable of making big shots on the road in hostile environments, right? Ron Harper Jr., Geo Baker, Cam Spencer, Paul Mulcahy, guys who have done it, the current roster, the way it's made up, don't have those dudes. And now it's up to Steve Peichel and Rutgers to get these guys, these young players, Jermichael Davis, Gavin Griffiths, Derek Simpson. Get them the experience they need, like they received on Sunday at the rack. Yes, I said the rack. Get these guys the experience and Get them in these situations so that they're comfortable. It's up to them to do it over these last several games of the regular season, win or lose. Because next year, we know what's coming in. We know that Dylan Harper and Ace Bailey are coming in to take over. But these guys, they need a complimentary cast. They can't do it all themselves. Get these guys there. Rutgers close to within two. Jersey Mike's was going bananas. It was 50 to 48. It was still a three point game with under four minutes to go. And then Zach Eadie slammed the door on Rutgers metaphorically and symbolically and put them up nine with two minutes to play. And it was all over. Hey, guys played well in this game. All right. Jermichael Davis played very well with nine points. Gavin Griffiths had one of his best games, if not his, uh, the best game in a Big Ten game. He had a great week of practice. And it carried over into the game. We saw a kid who was comfortable. He wanted the ball in his hands. He wasn't afraid to take the shot. The shot was coming off. Sure, he missed eight shots. But you know what? He looked good taking them. Too many times we've seen somebody who's timid. And somebody who, oh, I hope it goes in. I didn't see that whatsoever. His form was there. His confidence was there. Let's hope it continues. So it is what it is. Rutgers is, is, you know, one game out of last place. They're 10-9 and in conference play and struggling with only two Big Ten wins this year. Don't look at the wins and losses. Look for players to develop, look for this team to play hard, and see where it goes from here. They're going to win games at home. Can that carry over into one or two on the road? We'll see. All right. UConn, time to talk Big East. When UConn plays like they did against Xavier, and absolutely obliterated a good Xavier team, and they win by 43 points 99 to 56. This makes you think when UConn is playing like that and they're at their best, is there any team in the country that can beat them? Purdue's number two, UConn's number one. That's what the polls say. So I've seen Purdue. I've seen them on TV. I've seen them in person. I've seen UConn. I've seen them on TV. I've seen them in person. UConn wins at their best. Case closed. Zach Eady right now is a better college player than Donovan Klingon, But Donovan Klingon can do enough offensively and defensively to possibly match him. Purdue doesn't have the athleticism in the backcourt that UConn possesses with Newton and Spencer and the Big East Freshman of the Week for the fifth time, Stefan Castle. I think UConn's a little deeper. And I think when they're clicking, it would be a heck of a game. But UConn's best beats Purdue's best in a neutral site by four to five points. If they played in a neutral site, right now, in my mind, UConn would be favored by four and a half points. That's where I see it. Put that game in West Lafayette, and sure, Purdue has home court advantage. Put that game at Gamble, and you better believe UConn has home court advantage. Put them on a neutral site. UConn's better. That's what I see. They are the best team in the country, and they're showing it. Klingon played his best game yet since returning from his injury. 18 points in 19 minutes. And did you see him hit the three? Dan Hurley said afterward, I'm still trying to process that one. The big fella hit a three, trying to show the NBA scouts, hey, guys, I have range. He's been waiting to hit that one. First three-pointer of his career. So, look, this game was over at halftime. Sean Miller, his quotes were outstanding afterward. This is the worst loss that Xavier has had this century, losing by 43. I'm going to quote Sean Miller, quote, we were overwhelmed from the opening tip to the final buzzer. UConn is really good. They were really good a year ago, got better as the year went on. Whoever plays them here, whether it's in Hartford or on campus, it's going to be a difficult task to beat them. I mean he got his ass handed to him on a silver platter. You don't see that in the Big East unless it's DePaul, okay? Let's be realistic. Or it's last year's Georgetown team. That was an ass kicking. Yukon, 18 and 2 with an exclamation and 8 and 1 in the Big East. Oh, by the way, the only team to hand them a Big East loss Was Seton Hall. They've won eight straight. This team is rolling. Speaking of Seton Hall. Things are going south in a hurry for the Pirates. But only because they have lost Kadari Richmond. So the big question for Seton Hall. When do they get Kadari Richmond back? I'm going to say this. All indications that I can see. I'm going to put it at questionable for DePaul on Tuesday. I'm going to say it's 60% that he plays. It was doubtful, unlikely that he was going to play against Marquette. And guess what? He didn't even make the trip. I would not be surprised if Kaderi Richmond plays against DePaul. Seton Hall needs them. Seton Hall can beat DePaul without him. And I get it. I get the benefit of having him rest one more game and saving him another week that would give him two weeks off to get ready for Georgetown at home on February 7th. But if Seton Hall were to lose to DePaul, it's not a guarantee. Seton Hall fans, they see DePaul in the schedule. It brings up nightmares for the past 12, 13 years. That has never, ever been a gimme. And as much as people want to say it's a gimme, it's DePaul. There's something about this DePaul team that gives Seton Hall fits. Okay? Who, no matter who the coach is. So that's not a gimme. It's clear. Kadari Richmond is the straw that that stirs the drink. Seton Hall has put together a 30-minute game without him against Providence and collapsed over the last 10 minutes. And they put together a 20-minute game against Marquette and collapsed over the final 20 minutes. Too many guys are putting pressure on themselves. All right, without Kaderi Richmond, without your point guard, without your alpha male... Without your alpha dog, it forces everybody into different positions. It forces Al Dawes to be a point guard. It forces Isaiah Coleman into the starting lineup. It puts more pressure on Dylan Adewusu to to be more of a scorer, Dre Davis to do more scoring, right? It puts everybody in a different position. So if he comes back, it puts everybody back to their normal position. They've lost two games without Kaderi Richmond. We'll see if he comes back against DePaul. It is a must win. Afterward, in his post-game press conference, on the radio, Shaheen Holloway called it a must win. You never see a coach call a January game a must win. That says everything. The next two for Seton Hall. DePaul and Georgetown. They're going to be favored with or without Richmond. You got to win those games. If Seton Hall wins both, they're at eight and four and right where they should be. Win the games you're supposed to win with or without Kadari Richmond. And it it is the most you're not going to get an answer. Okay, I'll leave it with this about Seton Hall. You're not going to get an answer about this injury. So what does that tell you? One, it tells you a doctor or trainer did not medically diagnose him with an injury. Whatever this general soreness is, right? Read between the lines. Could be his back. Could be his foot. Could be whatever. Whatever it is that's ailing him. All right? The players in this day and age, they call the shots. I know it's different, but it's very similar in what Mowat Mag and Rutgers went through. Mag was coming off a torn ACL all off season. It happened in February. He was medically cleared to play. He was cleared to practice. He was cleared to play. He had been practicing with the team for weeks, but yet he was telling Steve Peichel, I'm not ready. Well, what do you mean you're not ready? I'm not ready. Well, no matter what the player, the players, his teammates, the coaches try to do. If the player is not ready, the player's not going to be forced to go out there. It's a new age. This is not, you know, Bobby Knight. This is not P.J. Carlissimo. You're injured. Get your ass out there. No, it's not. It's a different age. This is not John Thompson, Jim Bayheim, whatever it is. Louis Carnaseca It's a new age age. Mawat Mag came back when he said he was ready to come back. Kaderi Richmond will come back when he's ready to come back. And he says it. So will it be against DePaul? Your guess is as good as mine. My guess is questionable. 60%. If he doesn't, I will be shocked if he doesn't come back against Georgetown. Okay, then if I were Seton Hall, I would worry. That's my two cents. I think he's going to play against the Paul. If not, I will be shocked if he doesn't play against Georgetown. Either way, two must wins for Seton Hall. And now let's go to Quinnipiac. What a job by Tom Pacora! Look, he's not going to get National Coach of the Year. Okay. It's just not going to happen right now. Dan Hurley is probably that guy. But he is the leading candidate for coach of the year in the MAC. The Bobcats are in first place, sole possession of first place in the MAC, One game ahead of St. Peter's. They are eight and one. They've won six in a row. They've won eight straight in conference play. This team has won close game after close game. They are now six and oh. In games decided by four points or less. They know how to win close games. And boy, did they pull one off against Fairfield. They go to Mahoney arena, a near sellout with over 3000 fans. Fairfield is trying to get to the top. They're trying to knock the top dog off and prove that they belong in the conversation as one of the top teams in the Mac. Well, well, You know what? They still belong in the conversation, but the fact of the matter is a team that might be better than you came into your building and beat you. 66-64 was the final. Fairfield took a two-point lead with about a minute to go, and it was Matt Belonk to the rescue. Matt Belonk hit the game-time shot with about 50 seconds to go. Quinnipiac got the ball back. High game. Belonk dribbling by the circle. Go out there and make a play. Put the ball in the hands of your best player, just like King Rice did with Xander Rice against Hofstra. Go make a play. Make sure that it's late in the game and hit or miss. You don't give them time to get a shot other than, you know, some type of a half court prayer. Well, Matt Belonk dribbled between the circles put his head down, went to the hoop and almost lost it and threw in an acrobatic layup with three and a half seconds to play. Puts Quinnipiac up two. As it goes, Fairfield got a pretty damn good look at a three-pointer at the buzzer to win it. But it went out. Quinnipiac wins the game 66-64. Matt Belanc right now is your leading candidate for player of the year in the MAC, and Tom Pacora is your leading candidate for coach of the year in the Mac Quinnipiac statement win. So they lead the Mac by one game ahead of St. Peter's. And you know what? Good for the Peacocks. They had a bounce back win after suffering a loss on Thursday. And they came back against the game Sienna team. I know Siena's at the bottom of the standings, but boy, you know what? You always know that it's tough to get a win on the road in this conference Bashir Mason said afterward, it's a war every night. So to be able to go on the road and win is huge for us. They came off a very tough loss to Ryder. That is an in-state rivalry game that goes back decades. All right, Ryder got the best of St. Peter's earlier and St. Peter's came back, won a game they were supposed to do. And now they're a game behind. And those two teams still have yet to play each other, St. Peter's and Quinnipiac. So keep your eye on them in the MAC conference. So that's the story in the Mac. Let's talk NJIT. One of the biggest comebacks in college basketball all season. It was the largest comeback in NJIT Division I history. They were on the road, desperate for a conference win. They were 0-6 in the America East. And they trailed 46-24 at the half. They could not have played any worse. Well how did they do it here's coach grant bill meyer afterward in his interview he simply said i read this team the riot act i didn't know how they responded but they needed me to chew them out here's what grant bill meyer said on the broadcast after the win
1: my my senior stepped up you know i I benched Makai gray in the first half because I didn't like his defensive intensity. I I called out Kel DeGraff because he didn't have a single rebound. He did nothing physical. Mekhi Gray was excellent in the second half um, defensively. And you know, Kel DeGraff, I don't think he had a point at halftime. He did. And he finished with 18 and seven. So if you just look at the second half alone, he, he played terrific and I, and I challenged these guys and I didn't know how they were going to respond, but they, they, they responded the right way.
0: And the guy who stepped up was Kel DeGraff, hitting the biggest shot of the game. And he's done it twice this season where he has hit a putback rebound layup in the final seconds. What a job by him. What a job overcoming this deficit. All right. This team is gritty. Uh, They're very young. It's a team that is fighting for Grant Bill Meyer. You know they're taking on the coach's personality. He challenged the guys, Challenge Matt. Big-time win for them. Uh, Tariq Francis played very well. He had nine points in the second half, finished with 22 in the game. They needed this in the worst way. So good for NJIT. Yes, they're still at the bottom of the America East. But to get that first win, it's a big relief. They're now 5-14. One game or a half game behind UMBC. Uh, If they had lost that game, it would have been very tough to, you know, keep going forward and keep your heads high. But, you know, they leaned on their upperclassmen. The graph finished with 18 points. Adam has played a fine game with 12. And congratulations to Grant Billmeyer getting that first America East victory. And finally, last but not least, just want to say hats off to central Connecticut. They are in first place in the Northeast conference. Uh, they still have to deal with Merrimack at some point again, but for now they are the class of the Northeast conference, Patrick Sellers and company pulled off a big win in overtime against Wagner, Donald Copeland, I mean, if he loses another player, Wagner will have five players. They played this game with six healthy bodies. That was it. Injuries have absolutely crippled this team. So the fact that Wagner, with six players, took Central Connecticut into overtime and were winning for portions of this game, hats off to Cope. Uh, I hope they get some healthy bodies soon because it's just going to be a grind trying to finish the second half of this season. Central Connecticut made plays in this game. They got plays from Jordan Jones. They got plays from Kellen Amos who hit the game-winning three-pointer with under a minute to go. CCSU shot, you know, they made enough threes. They made enough plays. They were cold early, got hot late. And and found a way to win a game where, let's face it, with 10 minutes to go, they were down six. Uh, but once overtime began, they scored the first four points, took control, and outlasted Wagner and, and got a win to keep them in first place. And it is now their best record through 20 games since 2010-2011. 13 years. Central Connecticut is now 13-7, and seven off to their best start in 13 years. All right, that'll do it for this edition of the Tri-State College Basketball podcast. Thank you for listening. Thank you to our sponsor, the North Jersey Vipers Softball Club. Check them out at northjerseyvipers.com. Continue to spread the word, subscribe to the podcast, share it with your friends. I thank you for listening and downloading each and every pod. My name is Brian DeNavellis. Enjoy the games everyone. So long.